So Acts chapter 15, as you turn there in your Bibles, we're going to begin reading in just a moment to pick up where we left off last week in verse 22. But if you remember, while Paul and Barnabas had gone on the first missionary journey and they'd come back, they had heard that some who had believed, who were believers from the church of Jerusalem, had made their way up to Antioch and had taught the people in Antioch who were mostly Gentiles, that they had to be circumcised and to keep the law of Moses, and if they and if they did not do that, that they could not be saved. Now that's a serious uh, affront, and it troubled the church in Antioch because you know the the first church in Jerusalem. These men seemed to come from that church, and now they're. They had taught them, and so uh, Paul and Barnabas make their journey down with other men to Jerusalem, to the church in Jerusalem, and so they, they have a debate, they present the case, and Paul uh, no doubt spoke with Barnabas. Peter even stands up and speaks. We have some of that record mentioned in the book of Galatians in the first two chapters, and Paul mentions that record, how he withstood Peter to the face. And so the contention here is with the Jews and the Gentiles, circumcision, the law of Moses, doing all those things, and so... The doctrine is settled that we are saved by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and not by the observation of the law. That's what Paul, that's the message of the gospel that we've seen. That's the message of the Bible. And that's what they come to. Pastor James in the church of Jerusalem, he settles the record. Now he determines that he's going to send some ambassadors from the church of Jerusalem to the church in Antioch to correct what had been said by those who were believers who had gone up to Antioch without themselves being the ambassadors of the church in Jerusalem. So we pick it up in verse 22. The Bible says, Then pleased it the apostles and elders in the whole church to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas, surnamed Barsabbas, and Silas, chief men among the brethren. And they wrote letters by them after this manner. The apostles and elders and brethren send greeting unto the brethren which are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia. For as much as we have heard that certain which went out from us have troubled you with words, subverting your souls, saying ye must be circumcised and keep the law, to whom we gave no such commandment. It seemed good to unto us, being assembled with one accord, to send chosen men unto you with our beloved Barnab- Barnabas and Paul, men that have hazarded their lives for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have sent therefore Judas and Silas, who shall also tell you the same thing by mouth. For it seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things." that ye abstain from meats offered to idols and from blood and from things strangled and from fornication, from which if ye keep yourselves ye shall do well, fare ye well. So when they were dismissed, they came to Antioch, and when they had gathered the multitude together, they delivered the epistle, the letter, which when they had read, they rejoiced for the consolation. And Judas and Silas, being prophets also themselves, exhorted the brethren with many words and confirmed them. And after they had tarried there a space, they were let go in peace 
from the brethren unto the apostles, notwithstanding it pleased Silas to abide there still. Paul also and Barnabas continued in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. I'd like to bring your attention here to verse 24. So Pastor James and the believers, the apostles and the elders in the church at Jerusalem are sending a letter with Silas and Judas. And in this letter they're going to mention, verse 24, As we have heard that certain which went out from us have troubled you with words. Uh, with that in mind, I'd like to preach a message that I've entitled, The Answer to a Troubled Church. The answer to a troubled church. As we look at the record in the book of Acts, there is no doubt that we read what happened in the first century church and churches. We begin with one church in Jerusalem and then those churches multiplying throughout Judea, Samaria, and up Galilee and Syria and Cyprus. And the gospel now was preached, sending out missionaries from the church at Antioch and we read all about this, and so no doubt we have great things happening, and the Bible doesn't give us here everything that happened in the first century churches. But it does give us everything God wants us to know happened in the first century churches. And so here this record is for us to learn something from it. And so what we read here in this chapter 15 is really that the church in Antioch has been troubled by what we find here is really false doctrine. And as we look through the book of Acts, it is interesting that we note really two dynamics that come out in the book of Acts. We really have a record of the enemy that stands outside the church, right? The persecution from without that came from the religious people, not only from the religious people, but we also know that it also came from the heathen. We noted that in Paul's missionary journey, so there's opposition on every side that is outside the church. But we also have a record in the book of Acts of the trouble that's found within the church. And I think it would help us to know what happened and how the church dealt with it and then continued afterwards. The truth is, when we looked at the first time was, remember, in Acts chapter 5, we had the record of Ananias and Sapphira that was within the church. And... Uh, Acts 4, remember, they were told the disciples not to teach or preach in the name of Jesus Christ. So they went back to the church and they prayed. But then after that, God tells us the story of the, the account of Ananias and Sapphira and how those who were within the church sought to deceive people or sought to pretend that they were led by the Spirit of God and they really weren't. And the book of Acts tells us what God thinks about that. And so we should consider as a church that there would be no hypocrisy or deceit within the church because ultimately that can destroy the church. I've uh, spoken to uh, pastors after I've preached uh, this message. I just preached that at the Jubilee at Capitol. And I was talking to pastors and the truth is all the pastors will agree not only in present day churches but also throughout the history of churches that what has destroyed the church is not persecution from without the church. It's often, often corruption from within the church that has destroyed the church. Actually, if you study history, the church has always, which is mind-boggling, thrived in persecution. But when there's trouble within the church, it's often brought destruction. 
Now here the potential in Acts chapter 15 is the potential of false doctrine. And, and by the way, this would not be the only time that we would find this because Paul, in many of his epistles later on, would bring this right subject back up, this doctrine that was infiltrating the church, and he's going to have to deal with that uh, within his epistles, namely the epistle to the churches of Galatia. And so here we find this record in Acts chapter 15, and I want to give you really four things about what happened. And really this is a, I could say, an academic study of what happened here, the response, the steps they took, but also this is, uh, we learned some spiritual things as to how we ought to deal with things and how we ought to respond to trouble in the church. You see, often the, the problem is not necessarily the trouble in the church, because there will be trouble in churches. But often the, tr the, 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 the damage arises from the response to the trouble in the church. Now, next week, if you come back, I pray you come back, we're going to read about the disagreement between Paul and Barnabas. They got an argument over John Mark. And the result of that, and I'm going to talk about how to deal with conflict. And sometimes you just can't resolve the conflict, but you keep serving God. <laughs> and so we'll talk about that next week. But the point is there's trouble, and how do we respond to trouble as often as a, a revealer of what we are, how we are, uh, where we are spiritually, but also it can promote the health of the church or bring about the destruction of the church. You see, every church has a spirit. What's the spirit? What's going to be the spirit of First Day Baptist Church? How we deal with trouble will in great measure determine the spirit of the church. We're going to see the choice, first of all, that the church makes. Then they're going to make a condemnation, the church of Jerusalem. They're going to make a choice. They're going to uh, issue a condemnation of those who troubled the church in Antioch. We're going to find they're going to give a command also to the church of Antioch. And then we're going to see that this is going to bring consolation to the church of Antioch. I want you to notice, first of all, the choice of the church at Jerusalem. As we look at our text, we notice several things that the church, the steps that the church is going to take in Jerusalem to try to resolve this trouble. And the first thing that they do is they make a choice as to selecting some men who are going to represent the church to bring about peace in the troubled church in Antioch. And so they're going to select among them two men. Now, the Bible mentions these two men. These two men were Judas, surnamed Barsabbas, and Silas. Now, it's interesting here that Barsabbas, after this whole ordeal, he's going to go back to the church of Jerusalem, but Silas is going to stay there in Antioch, and then he's going to accompany Paul on his missionary journeys, and we uh, noted that in uh, the epistle of First and Second Thessalonians. He is part and mentioned in that letter as being part of God's work there in Thessalonica. But they're going to make a choice. And I want you to notice some things about these men. You know when, you know what will help a troubled church is spiritual men. That's what we find here. How are they going to resolve trouble in the church? Well, they're going to make a choice. They're going to choose out among them those who are faithful, those who have good reputation, those who have an established testimony, and these are going to be the ambassadors of the church. Now, I know as we study God's Word, there's examples. For example, we read in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, the requirements of the bishop, the pastor of the church, and the deacons of the church. And sometimes we might think, well, that's the, 
kind of the life that should describe the pastor and the deacons of the church, but the rest of the members don't have to abide by that. No, the point is, those rules are there, and every believer should strive to live by them. Not just those who may be the pastor and the deacon. And so we find here that these men are going to be selected. Now, I want to note several things about these two men. First of all, these men were chosen from the church. Uh, notice verse 22, the Bible says, Then it ple pleased did the apostles and elders with the whole church to send, here it is, chosen men of their own company. So here the idea of chosen men is that if you want to think about the life of the church, now the Bible says, not the elders, or the elders chose, and the apostles. So it's not the elders, not Pastor James, not the apostles that were there in the church of Jerusalem. It was chosen men. In other words, these men, although they may not have had a leadership position in the church, they were nonetheless choice men. In other words, when you think about the chosen men from the company, we think about those who have a good reputation in the church. And by the way, we ought to all strive to have a good reputation in the church. We have to think about our conduct. We have to think about our conversation. We have to think about our lives. And we have to ask the sobering question, if I was there in the church at Jerusalem in the first century, would I be one of the candidates? Now, I'm not saying that to try to uh, arise some pride in you to say, well, I want to be chosen. I don't think Silas and Barnabas, based on what he said about them, wanted to be chosen. They just were organically chosen because of the men they were. They were choice men. And may we all strive to be choice men and women, ladies. There's going to be, by the way, here is men, but throughout the account of Acts, there's ladies that are involved in the work of God who also are held in high reputation. Paul mentions those. So we see that these men were chosen from the church. Even he says later in verse 25, It seemed good unto us, being assembled with one accord, to send chosen men unto you. So again, again and again, the Bible repeats, these were chosen men, choice men. May we all be God's choice and be available. You see, the, the amazing thing here, think about it, is not the selection of Silas and Judas. I believe there are other men. If you read the, the account in Acts chapter 6 when they selected the first deacons, they said, choose out among you faithful men. And they chose seven. I believe there are more than seven that fit the bill. They just chose seven. And the point is, we all have to fit the bill. So it's not about, oh, well, I got selected, and here's Judas and, and Silas, and well, I, I, got, I don't think that was their attitude. As a matter of fact, that's why they were selected, because their selection didn't arise some pride in them. So these men were chosen from the church. These men also were chief in the church. Notice verse 22. The Bible says, um, Judas surnamed Barsabbas and Silas, chief men among the brethren. Now, the idea here of chief men... We think about, there's already leadership in the church. So when you read that word chief here, uh, it, it talks about, yes, authority. But if you think about here, it's, it's really the natural leadership that comes out of spirituality. Let me say that again. It is the natural leadership that comes out of spirituality. They did not have the position of apostle or the elder in the church, but they were nonetheless chief men. They were men of influence. 
They were men who people could look up to and say, that is an example of a godly man, of a spirit-filled man. He is a chief man. He is a man of influence, despite not having a position of influence. And the truth is, we all have influence. Now, we may not have the position. Well, we might think, oh, I'm not the pastor, or I'm not the treasurer, or deacon. That's a position. But position is not a requirement for influence. You see, we all have influence. I remember my, I was talking to my dad, and uh, we were talking about the position in the church, and he, he brought out the truth. He says, well, I said, you know, in a sense, when you think about families, those who have uh, a man who has a wife and children, in a sense, they're, they're our pastors. They're pastoring their family. They have a position. Why? By virtue of, of, their, uh, uh, of nature, their, their family, they have that position. And so we see here that these men were chief in the church. We also see that these men were cherished in the church. They are referred to as being beloved, as Barnabas and uh, Saul and, and Paul. And so these men, you know, the, the people, when they thought about these men, they didn't think when they left to go to Antioch, the church didn't think, Whew, thank God these guys are gone. You see, the church did not send people they didn't want there. They sent the best. The chief, the chosen. Uh, those who were held in high reputation. Those who were cherished in the church. You know, if you think about any assembly, have you ever been, maybe it's family or friends or neighbors, and maybe you've been in a group of people, maybe repeatedly, and then there's maybe this one person in that group that you're like, oh, is that person coming? And you kind of feel a little trepidation because they have the tendency to, I don't know, ruin things. <laughs> I try to say as kindly as I can. But sometimes people come across that way. May that never be us. To where we think, oh, they're not here. Thank the Lord they're not here. No, we need to be cherished in the church. And so among the brethren, people need to think of us in an endearing way. They're beloved. We love to be around them. So let's make ourselves uh, lovable. Don't do anything that will cause people not to like you. Now you can love somebody, but sometimes not like them. You know what I'm talking about? So let's make ourselves likable uh, by the things that we do, how we interact, and so on. So they were beloved, they were cherished in the church, but also these men were consecrated to Christ. Notice verse 26, an interesting thing is said about these men. These are men that have hazarded their lives for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that's uh, interesting. Now, they've hazarded their lives, here it is, not because they're foolish, they've hazarded their lives for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, uh, Judas and, and Silas, if you think about Acts, Stephen was stoned to death. He preached to the Sanhedrin council and the result was they stoned him to death. And so Silas and Judas were not martyrs, but what the Bible says is they were willing to be martyrs. They had hazarded their lives. They had, the, their life was so consecrated to the Lord Jesus Christ that people says, well, they haven't died as martyrs, but they would be willing to. They wouldn't look at serving God as a, a chore and say, well, I don't want to do that because of the danger that might be involved in serving the Lord Jesus Christ they deemed the Lord Jesus Christ as worthy to be served. Anything for the Lord. 
They've hazarded their lives. And so we see the choice of the church at Jerusalem. We also not only see the choice of the church, but then we, we see the condemnation from the church of Jerusalem. Now, they write a letter sent by the hand of Judas and Silas to the believers in Antioch. And notice what they said here. They issue a condemnation of the men who had traveled from Jerusalem to Antioch, and they issue a strong condemnation of these men. Notice Acts 15, verse 23. And they wrote letters by them after this manner, The apostles and elders and brethren send greeting unto the brethren which are in uh, of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria of Cilicia. For as much as we have heard that certain which went out from, uh, from us have troubled you with words, subverting your soul, saying ye must be circumcised and keep the law, to whom we gave no such commandment. That is a letter of condemnation of what? Of the men who had gone from Jerusalem to the church of Antioch. Notice here the condemnation. First of all, the condemnation number one, they were deceitful. How do we know that? Because we notice the manner in which they came. Do you notice here the Bible says, verse 24, For as much as we have heard that certain which went out from us. So here is what happened. Those who were believers in the church in Jerusalem had traveled to the church of Antioch and they had probably said something like this although we don't know what they said, we are from the church at Jerusalem. So in other words, they came deceitfully. The manner in which they came was they came in deception. They pretended that they had the authority and the backing of the church of Jerusalem to bring their message, but they did not. And so he says, we've heard that some people came out of us, but he says by the end of verse 24, we, we didn't give any commandment. And so what the Bible says is they came deceitfully, pretending to have the backing and the authority of the church, but they did not have any such authority. You see, the doctrine that they preached did not have the authority of the church at Jerusalem. Now, by the way, this is true throughout the first century. It is still true today. There will be people who will come to church and who will propagate their own doctrine. They often come deceitfully. The manner they come, they claim to have often some type of authority. And they'll say something, well, I've studied this subject for all those years, and I, I was there, and I did this, and, I, and they talk about their resume, but often you know what you will not find? The authority of a local church behind them. They're their own masters. They're their own people. There's no, the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. There is no self-made authority. The authority comes from the local New Testament church. And so here it says, they were deceitful. They did not have the backing of the church. The manner in which they came was deceitfully. So they were deceitful, but also secondly, they were disruptive. Do you notice here what he says in verse 20, 24? For as much as we have heard that certain which went out from us have troubled you with words. The word trouble means basically to disrupt. In other words, the believers... Now, again, sometimes we forget. Acts chapter 13, you remember the church? Go back to Acts chapter 13, verse 1. Now, there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers, as Barnabas and Simeon that was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene and Menaean, which had been brought up with Hedrach the Tetrarch and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them. God's Spirit is on the church and in the church of Antioch. Notice, Paul and Barnabas left, but there's still some solid teachers and preachers in Antioch. So, God's work is going well. 
The Spirit of God is in the place. The Spirit of God is moving people to go on missionary journeys. The Spirit of God is in the place. And then these people come and they disrupt the work of God. They trouble the church. They disrupt the church. And so here we see the intent with which they spoke. The Bible says they have troubled you with words. You see, the intent, the Bible tells us here, was not to educate them and to help them, but was to trouble them with words. Now, what was the specific words? Well, look, you all have it all wrong. If you need to be saved, you have to be circumcised and keep the law of Moses, just like we the Jews have done up till this point. Now, the, the debate is settled. Because remember what Peter said? He says, we couldn't bear the burden. Neither our fathers before us could bear that burden. We're saved by grace. This is all nonsense. We, we, haven't, we haven't taught this. And so they disrupted the church by their false doctrine. So the intent in which they spoke was disruptive. You see, God's work is great, isn't it? The devil is not interested in God's work moving forward. He wants to disrupt and he wants to stop the church from moving forward. And so he's going to disrupt things, stir, stir things up within the church. We have to be careful. Be aware. They were deceitful. They were disruptive. Also notice thirdly, they were destructive. The Bible says here, he uses the word subverting your souls. That's the letter. He, they were subverting your souls saying, you must be circumcised and keep the law. So the word here, subverting, has the inclination of they, they destroyed you. They tried to weaken your faith. They tried to destroy the faith that you had believed. And so that's the consequences of their action. The consequences of those who came to the church. They're trying to destroy the church. And so that's a condemnation. Don't They shouldn't have tried to destroy the work of God. We... All that we read so far of the church of Antioch is only commendable. And yet, that work could have been destroyed. So they were not only deceitful, they were disruptive, they were destructive, but also they were discredited. Notice he, he mentions at the end of verse 24, to whom we gave no such commandment. He says, we, com we condemn them, they're... There was the absence of authority. No authority. We did not send them. We did not command them to teach that. They took that upon themselves. You see, what often happens in the church, and I've been in churches long enough to know that often somebody might come in, and you know what happens is when somebody maybe disagrees with doctrine, they don't come to the pastor. They'll go to everybody else in the church and they'll say, well, you know, you... You know, I, I don't believe what, the, what this... Instead of just asking the pastor, say, hey, uh, I, I disagree with that. Let, let's talk about it. They, they don't do that. Why? And by the way, they ought to be discredited. Why? Because there's no church often behind them. There's no authority. It's whatever they think. They have their own mind. Well, maybe they should start their own church. That's what I often tell people. People come and say, well, I have my own doctrine. Well, that's great. You can have your own doctrine. This is the United States of America. You can believe whatever you want to believe. Go start your own church. Right? Why disrupt what is already going on in the church? So we see here the condemnation from the church of Jerusalem. They were deceitful, disruptive, destructive, and discredited. But then yet, they issue a command. You see, because the church of Antioch was not only comprised of Gentiles. You see, when the 
when you look at the language of the Bible, it says that when they came to the church of Antioch, they really attacked the Gentile believers. But the truth is, there were Jewish believers there too. And so they do give instruction for the Gentile believers. Now, notice what he says in verse 28. For it seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things. And so, the burden, you don't need to be circumcised, you don't need to keep the law of Moses in order to be saved. Okay, that's not a burden that uh, ought to be there. But here is something that are necessary things for you. Things that you ought to consider and do. Verse 29. That ye abstain from meats offered to idols and from blood and from uh, things strangled and from fornication, from which if ye keep yourselves, ye shall do well, fare ye well. Now I want you to notice here, because here's the command of the church of Antioch. Now, this is not a burden. Remember, the, the case earlier in the chapter was you have to be circumcised and you have to keep the law of Moses, and if you don't do that, you cannot be saved. Okay? This command has nothing to do with salvation. He says, we encourage you, we want you, we command you to do these things. Now what does that mean? What are the instructions in verse 29? The first one is abstain from meats offered to idols. Now, the, the church of Antioch was comprised of both Gentiles and Jews. The Jews in that church would have been greatly offended to see Gentile believers eat meat that had been offered to idols. Now, by the way, I, I'm not going to go there for sake of time because time is already running really fast. But Paul would deal later with that in the, with the church at Corinth and the church at Rome. He would say, look... If you eat meat and you know that it offends your brother, don't eat the meat. Is that what he said? Even he says, there's nothing wrong with the meat itself. But you can destroy the work of God just because you want to eat the meat. And so he says, don't destroy the work of God for meat. And so here he says, look, there are probably Jews in the congregation who will be offended if you eat the meat that's offered to idols. So abstain from meat offered to idols because it brings offense to Jewish believers. You see, the meat itself was not polluted. Neither did eating the meat result in personal defilement. Jesus said it's not what you put in the body that defiles the man. It's what comes out of the heart that defiles the man. To abstain from meats was to be done in consideration of others so that the gospel would not be hindered or rejected by those listening. You see? And by the way, that's, we have the commentary in Romans 14 and in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We have the commentary on that where Paul expounds on that. Don't do anything that would bring an offense and that would prevent the gospel from being preached. Then he says, also abstain from blood and from things strangled. Now, that goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 9, verse 4. You remember, God commanded Noah not to eat blood. Uh, furthermore, animals that were strangled, had not uh, the blood was not drained from their body. And so the Jews, that's why they would cut often uh, at the main arteries around the throat of the animals to drain the blood, and then they could eat. And so this has been, from a very long time, the command given to Noah from God. And so it was customary for the Jews not to eat blood. The blood had to be drained from the animal. And so he says here to these believers along the same line, abstain from blood and from things strangled. Uh, and again, what's the point? We have the commentary later, is so as to not offend the Jews. You see, if you know that you're offending a believer, even though you know it's not wrong in and of itself, 
but you know you're offending them and you continue and persist in that offense, you are in the wrong. Now, I've preached through Romans 14, so if you've missed it, I would encourage you to go back and listen to it because I explain all that in detail, but I only have time for one message this morning. So then, notice the last thing is also abstain from fornication. Now, much of the Gentile, why would he mention that? Because much of the Gentile world was plagued with heathen worship, which, which often included moral deviancy. You see, the, he uses the word fornication. Much of the temple worship and the false god worship involved prostitution and all kinds of uh, sexual sins. And so he says, look, this is what you've been involved in before you got saved. Don't, don't, don't do that. This is a reminder that grace is not a license to sin. And we've been memorizing Romans chapter 6, but that's basically what he says. We command you to do those things. Don't do something that would bring an offense that might offend somebody out. And also make sure that you live in such a way that doesn't bring condemnation upon those who've been saved by grace and changed by the gospel. So that which is customary in the world, the believer's life ought to be different. So we see here the, the choice, the condemnation, the command to the church of Antioch, but also we see the consolation for the church of Antioch. So notice verse 31. Which when they had heard, they rejoiced for the consolation. By the way, they weren't troubled by those commands. They rejoiced with them. You see, it is not a difficult thing for us to study God's Word. And God says, alright, you're a believer. Live this way and don't do those things. As believers, that doesn't bring heartache to us. It brings rejoicing and consolation. At least that's what it ought to do. That's what it produced in those believers. You see, they did not see it as an imposition upon themselves. Not to touch blood and meat offered to idols and to abstain from fornication. They rejoiced in that. That what? That they had further instruction in how to live a life that was pleasing to God. And by the way, that, that, that's, that's how we ought to see it. You see, when you uh, see and hear the Word of God being taught and preached, something happens in your heart. You often don't like it. And you know it's wrong. And sometimes you even know, say, well, there's not a, like an exact verse on this. But you know it brings offense to the name of Christ. And, and you know what that is. And so do I. I know things in my own life. And so the church was... Notice verse 32, Judas and Silas, being prophets also themselves, exhorted the brethren with many words and confirmed them. They're, they did three things. They consoled them. That's They comforted them. They exhorted them. The word exhort means to call near. That, that is the opposite of what those believers earlier from Jerusalem had done. They did not exhort them. They pushed them away. They disrupted the church. And here they exhorted them. That means to call near. And then the Bible says they confirm them. Uh, the word confirm means, if you would, to support further. It means to reestablish. So they probably, what Judas and, and Silas did, they probably said, all right, uh, Paul and Barnabas taught you this. We're teaching the same thing. We're reestablishing the things that you know to be true. And we condemn those who came in the church and propagated false doctrine. So, with that knowledge, what's the answer to trouble in the church? Well, let me give you. First of all, the local church must have faithful men. The local church must have faithful men. See, what often happens is that 
when the church is disruptive, those who fall in the disruption and leave church are often those who are weak believers, not mature. Somebody comes in and they buy what they say. Oh, they said this. And often the weak Christians are those who often fall by the wayside. So the local church needs to find faithful men, endeavor to be a faithful man. Secondly, the local church must condemn evil practice and false doctrine. And the teaching and the preaching of God's Word is there for that. We condemn evil practice and false doctrine. By the way, the Word of God gives us many of those things. There is certainly the Bible is a doctrinal record, but it is also a record of how we ought to live our lives. Evil behavior needs to be condemned and good behavior needs to be commended. Thirdly, the local church must encourage holy conduct. That's what they did. You see, they didn't leave and say, well, sorry we did that. Do as you please. No, they said, here is holy conduct. Here's how you live a holy life in the world. And lastly, the local church must always seek to strengthen the assembled body of believers. Strengthen the assembled body of believers. You see, when we think about the church, there is enough conflict in the world. We don't need the conflict in the church. The church is there to strengthen, settle, confirm, exhort, strengthen us. Why? So that we could go back into the world and live for God. So let's all ask ourselves this question. Am I being constructive to the strengthening of the assembled body of Christ on earth? Am I contributing to that? Now, I'm not preaching this, and you know this. I'm not preaching this because I think anybody's struggling the church here. I'm just preaching because that's the next thing we have in the Bible. So maybe this message is preventative. You see, what's the big picture? God's work. And God gives us insight on within the church the trouble going on. And the principles and the truths that we find here, I believe will help us if we implement those things as well. To make sure that even though we're troubled, we can still get in the place where we find consolation, confirmation, and exhortation in the midst of trouble. Let's use trouble as an opportunity to take the next step, not as a stumbling block to fall. You see, the reason why people leave church is typically because of some trouble. I gave this illustration before. I give it because it's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. But the truth is it happens. It's a lady at a, not this church, praise the Lord, but she made a pie for a fellowship. And another lady was going through the line at the church fellowship and the lady took two pieces of pies. And so the lady that made the pie was really offended that this other lady took two pieces of pie, not just one. And she left the church and didn't come back. For what? A piece of pie. Now that sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? There are many things, this is not a perfect church, many things will happen that could cause trouble in the church. The trouble is not often the issue, because that will happen. The trouble is how we respond. Now, should the lady have taken two pieces of pie? Probably not. And by the way, who knows? She probably got one maybe for her husband. Ever thought of that before? You know, sometimes we just, we just think. We interpret things. 
Our mind just runs wild. The imagination just goes and goes. So uh, may the Lord help us to have the right response when, whenever there's trouble, whether it's from doctrine, whether it's from personal conflict. May we all look beyond ourselves and look at the work of God that is beyond any one individual. What's going to happen after this? Second missionary journey. Now there's another conflict we're going to deal with. That's between Barnabas and Saul. Two, by the way, Paul, two godly men. They're going to have a disagreement. But guess what? God's work is going to continue to move forward. Why? Because they had to look beyond themselves. Sometimes we have to be willing to be offended so that the work of God can move forward. And stop worrying about our feelings. Let me say that again. And stop worrying about our feelings and think about God and His work.